Well, greetings of love in the precious name of Jesus. I trust that you have been blessed to be here already. I haven't quite recovered from the powerful nuggets from the Sunday school class. I tell you what, John says it like it is, right? If you don't love your brother, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. I find it ironic that first, I mean, I'm sorry, John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16 are like this. 1 John 3.16 refers to the love of God and then gives us that we should lay down our lives for our brother. Well, I'm not planning to go back to the Sunday school lesson. I would like all the children to come front on the front bench here. I got a story to read. All the children come front. And we're going to read a story. Adults may listen in if you want. This is on my level. Or the second bench. Looks like we have a good group of children. Second bench, wonderful. Yep, fill in the second bench up here. I think the front bench is going to get too full. That's wonderful. Okay. Can you find a spot there? Perfect, perfect. We may need three benches. This is wonderful. Tell you what, we're going to see. Yeah, perfect. Okay. Did you ever hear about the little red hen? You did? I'm going to tell you about the little red hen. I'm still trying to figure out what I think about the little red hen. Let's read. One day, the little red hen found a grain of wheat. A grain of wheat? The little red head said, I'm going to plant it. Well, maybe let me get some help. So the little red hen asked the duck, would you help me plant the grain of wheat? Nope, not I, said the duck. So she asked the goose, would you help me plant the grain of wheat? Not I, said the goose. <sighs> Let's try the cat. See the cat there? What's the chances of the cat helping? Sitting under the tree fishing. <laughs> Would you help me plant a grain of wheat? Not I, said the cat. Well, then I asked the pig. Pig, will you help me plant the grain of wheat? Not I, said the pig. Well, then I will plant it myself. And she did. Okay? So the wheat grew. And now it's a tall grain of wheat. Now I need to reap the wheat or harvest the wheat. So. She wanted some help. Would you help? Not I, said the duck. Not I, said the goose. Not I, said the cat. Not I, said the pig. Well, then I will reap it all by myself. And she did. So she reaped the wheat. Now it's ready to go to the mill and to be made into flour. Would anyone help me carry the wheat to the mill, she asked. What do you think? Let's find out. Not I, said the duck. Not I, said the goose. Not I, said the cat. Not I, said the pig. Okay, then I will carry it all by myself. And she did. So she took it to the mill, made it into flour, brought it home. Now it's time to make, make it into dough, make some bread. 
well, I could use some help, the little redhead says. So she goes and asks her friends, will you help me make the flour into dough? Not I, said the duck. Not I, said the goose. Not I, said the cat. Not I, said the pig. Well, let's say it together. Then I will do it all by myself. And she did. So, she made the bread, and now it's time to bake it. You know, it, she went through the whole process, and again, about baking the bread. Nope, not eyes of the duck, not eyes of the goose, not eyes of the cat, not eyes of the pig. Then I will do it, I'll bake it all by myself. And she did. So, now, she pulls out the bread out of the oven, and she says, who will help me eat the bread? I will, said the duck. See that? I will, said the goose. I will, said the cat. And this one's the best. And even the pig pokes his head in the door and says, I'll help eat the bread. And the little redhead says, no, I will eat it all by myself. And she did. The end. What can I teach you from the little red hen? All I'm going to say, don't be like the pig, and don't be like the duck, and don't be like the goose, and don't be like the cat. But I didn't say be like the little red hen. You may go back to your parents. Well, if you didn't figure it out, that is an introduction to the message. And now I'd love to ask all the parents, what do you think? How many pig fans or cat fans or uh, goose fans or, or little redhead fans? Is the little redhead the model? Well, I'll come back to the little red hen, but I invite you to a better story. Turn with me to Genesis 22. Genesis 22. This story has continued to intrigue me from the day I heard it. And I am guessing at the end of my life, I will still be totally intrigued and fascinated by Genesis 22. And I'm going to guess that I, I will not have unlocked all the truths of Genesis 22. I think I have actually shared Genesis 22, uh, maybe even here at Waterworks, if not here at Waterworks, it was at Myerstown. But there's a... There's a a slice to Genesis 22, the, be the beautiful story that we're going to read that has just recently captivated me. And I wouldn't, I'm hoping this uh, will captivate you as well and it will make a difference in how you look at your Heavenly Father. 
So Genesis 22, I'm going to read the story. Maybe before I read the story, we're just going to kind of drop into the, the life of Abraham. We're getting towards the end of Abraham's life. I'm going to suggest that Abraham has become a little more mature. Uh, in fact, if you go to Hebrews 11, you're going to find some real heroes of faith. Most of them get a slice, maybe one verse. Some of them get two verses. Abraham's got about, he, I think he's got the most verses in Hebrews 11. Tells you something about the man. He is a, a, a man that has modeled faith, not perfect at all. Genesis 20, I see, I call it his carnality. That's where he, he didn't tell the truth, trying to save some face, and, and that led to a little bit of confusion with his neighbor Abimelech, but there was definitely some carnality there. Uh, after it's all said and done, Abimelech calls this man of God to the carpet and says, uh, challenges him on his integrity. And at the end of Genesis 20, uh, Abraham prays and blesses, uh, prays a blessing on this man, Abimelech, in his house. And God, uh, apparently he had shut the wombs of, the, of, of everyone in Abimelech's uh, reign, and God healed them, and they were, again, having children. But, Abraham and Isaac still had no child, and they're getting pretty old. Genesis 21 is an amazing chapter. Uh, finally, a long-awaited promise. He came, 100-year-old Abraham. Anybody here 100 years old? I didn't think so. Imagine a 100-year-old dad holding a baby, and say, I waited a long time, and he's holding little Isaac. That's, that's a fact. In, in, in Genesis 21, he's holding his precious son, the son of promise, the, the one that God said, count the stars, the descendants of this baby is going to be like the stars or the sands of the seashore and so on. And, you know, I'm not going to go into the backstory, but Abraham's wife had, had tried plan B with... Uh, with Hagar, and there was, a little, there was a little boy running around the house. His name was Ishmael. Now, it sounds pretty cruel in, ex, in, in Genesis 21, but, uh, well, I think Abraham really threw a party. And, you know, he's like, celebration! And I wonder if little Ishmael, poor little boy, looks around the corner and says, what's all the celebration about? And, and, and you know what? And, and he starts mocking the little, uh, Isaac when he was a little older, of course. And, and, and there, was, there, there was contention in the house from day one. By the way, the contention still is going on in the news today. What, what's happening on the Gaza Strip is, uh, is exactly what has happened here in Genesis 21. There was a little bit of fighting going on, and finally it seems so cruel, but Abraham said, okay, the, the son of the bondwoman has to go. In other words, you're going to have to leave the house. And that to me sounds pretty cruel, but Ab uh, I'm sorry, Paul turns around in, in Galatians and uses that, that story as an allegory maybe, uh, an example that the flesh and the spirit cannot coexist. That's an amazing truth. So Hagar and little Ishmael, they go off, and now there's kind of, there, there, there's, there, there's, there's, some, there's some peace in the home. And if you come to the edge, end, end of Genesis 21, I'm taking a little too much time out of the, out of the background, but I think it's kind of important uh, to get the background, a little bit of background for the 
big story in Genesis 22. At the very end of chapter 21, I, I, if I would put a little title or a sub-point in, in my Bible, I would write, Life is good. Life is just good. I got the promise. I got the blessing. The problem, I mean, the, the conflict is gone. And, and he even planted a nice grove of trees at the end of 21, and he had a nice little garden, and life was good. Join me. Genesis 22, verse 1. And it came to pass that after these things, God did tempt Abraham and said, Abraham, and he said, here am I. Take your son. Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and go into the land of Moriah and offer him there a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and two of the young men with him and, the, and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place where God told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes. He saw the place afar off. Abraham said to his young men, Abide you here with the ass and I and the lad will go yonder and worship. Worship. Let me just emphasize that. He's going to worship and come again to you. Note that. We're going to go. We're going to come back. Abraham took the wood, the burnt offering, and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went together. And verse 7 makes me cry, because I'm a dad. Many of you are too. And if this is all going through your, your uh, uh, inner being, how would you handle this? Isaac said to Abraham in verse 7, his, uh, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb? For the burnt offering. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them walked on together. And they came to the place where God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar, and there laid the wood in order, and bound, his, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And, I, and Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called from him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand on the lad, neither do thou anything to him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou wouldest not withheld thy son, that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and Behold him, a ram caught in the thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Father in heaven, it is impossible for us as human beings to unlock what we just read. But God, by your mercy and grace, help us to just see Jesus and see you as the provider. See you, Jehovah Jireh. That it'll make a difference how we live in Christ's name. Amen. So I'm pretty excited about what we just read. 
That's an amazing story. And I often approach this, uh, this passage as the greatest test a man faced. And I still say that's a very, very fair title. But today I want to focus on just the, 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 the words Jehovah Jireh, which means God provides. I am I'm convinced that this test shows that Abraham had some maturity in his life. He wasn't a young Christian. It was, he had some maturity. I mean, think with me for a moment. I'm getting ahead of myself, but just think with me for a moment. You don't know why you're doing this, but God, you know God called you to do something. And we all can, we can, all can, we all can put a paragraph to that some in, in some way, shape, or form. And then comes a question about, why are you doing it, Dad? Why? What do you say? What do you say? Without thought, without uh, God, without, I believe even without a prayer saying, God, I help me to, to know how to answer Isaac. He said, God will provide. Uh, Abraham knew Jehovah Jireh. My question is, do I? Do I know him? Do you know him? Do you know Jehovah Jireh? Does he provide? In the midst of a question after question, God will provide. It just came right out of his mouth. God will provide. What a man. I'll admit the story is wrenching and a bit confusing. But one of the words that has helped me unlock this is the word, it's actually the word tempt. Now, I know I was teaching this one time and I was called, not called to the carpet, but I was asked for an explanation. Wait, God tempted? James says, and this person, whoever it was, was a Bible scholar, they said, wait, in James it says, God will not tempt any man. Well, whenever you have a translation, whenever you take something from the Hebrew and something from the Greek and put it into English language, you're going to have some, uh, you're going to have some, what, how, what are you, what was the issues? The, the Hebrew word is N-A-S-A, something like that. Uh, I don't even know how to pronounce it. But it's, it's, it's a, it's, it means test. Abraham, Abraham was facing a test. It wasn't a temptation, per se. It was a test. This is a test. Now, if I were Abraham, if you were Abraham, I wonder how many of you got, got up early in the morning, the very next morning. I probably would have said, you know, there's a, we could really spiritualize God's well, some, if you know what God wants you to do, you can really spiritualize and say, well, I, uh, I'm going to pray about this. I want to make sure. Well, he knew it. He, it was sure, okay? So when he knew it and he was sure, he got up early, the, early in the morning and said, we're going. I wonder if he even told his wife where he's going and what's up. I don't know. But he was gone. And, he's, uh, and the, the point of instant obedience is amazing. The three-day journey is amazing and very symbolic. The worship, I tried to emphasize that when I, when I read it. I'm going to just, uh, just jump over some of these points here. The faith of their return, that is, to me, is so powerful. Faith that they're going to return. And I'll set it, I said it before and I'll say it again, it's about all I can handle when Isaac looks up and says, Daddy, where's the lamb? Where is it? God will provide. God will provide. 
And I, my, my burning challenge to myself and to you is, is that how you live? Does that spontaneous? God will provide. And you put your own uh, challenges in there, your tests in there, your, God will provide. God will provide. Well, they go on, and they build an altar. And by the way, commonplace, Isaac didn't sit around and say, what in the world are you doing, Dad? An altar? Now? What's? No, it was his life. Abraham lived a lifestyle of an altar. In fact, there were two icons in his life. One was a tent, and one was an altar. You can follow it all the way through his life. A tent and an altar. Tent signifying that I'm not home. I'm just passing through. An altar I worship. Conversely, Lot one day tried to get spiritual and kind of build an altar and say, hey, sons, come. And his sons mocked him. You know, there, there's, there's, there's a whole point about a lifestyle of an altar. He, so dad builds an altar, son looks on, that's normal. But he just had a little bit of a question. What, well, what are we going to do about the, the sacrifice? And I often wondered, where it was the sacrifice right there in the bushes then, but just hid from them? I'm not sure. It doesn't really matter. So I can already preach it. But he comes to the end, and it's all ready. I believe he made the altar, and I believe he put all the stones on it. I believe, I, I believe he laid on it himself, just to make sure it wasn't no rugged edges, and, and uh, maybe warmed it up a little bit. And he, I can almost see him sit down on the one side and called his son and said, sit down here, son. And they look at each other with respect, and Abraham says, you know what, son, I don't know what to do with this, but God told me three days ago that I'm supposed to bring, come up here to this mountain and I'm supposed to offer you. And you're the most precious thing that I have in, on, in life. Now, I don't know what's going to happen, son, but I think, I'm gonna, I think what God's going to do is something, uh, something that the world has never seen, but I think you're going to be raised again from the dead. In fact, if you don't believe that, go to Hebrews 11. It says he counted God worthy. He, uh, I can't quote it verbatim, but it was something. He, he, he believed that, that there would be a resurrection or God would be able to raise Isaac from the dead. And Isaac just takes it in. Okay, Dad. We're back to the altar. We're back to respect. We're back to earning a life of altar it was almost a Father's Day message, right? It wasn't intended to be. So he lays, him, lays all Isaac on, this, on the altar. And then he... I, I, wonder, I wonder if he went like this and he said, is there any other way, Lord, before, his, before Isaac... before he put his hand on the knife, just like Jesus. You know what I mean? Is there, he looked into the cup and he says, I don't want it. Is there any other way? I wonder, if, I wonder if Abraham said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. That's what Jesus said. And that's what, when I get a hold of tests, and when you get a hold of tests, that's what we say. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He, he was able to put the blessing down for the sake of the one that blesses. We often get that mixed up. We often get the blessing, and we hang on to the blessing, and that's all that matters. And we forget about the one that gives the blessing. He laid the blessing down. He laid what was very near and dear down for the sake of the one that gave. 
I'm talking about standing on the threshold of something so powerful right here, an understanding that, that has impacted me, and I hope it has impacted you. Well, there are so many amazing uh, types in this story. Uh, Isaac being a type of Christ. Abraham is actually a rare type of God being uh, laying down his only begotten son, having a willing son, having a, a son that he's willing to lay down. Now back to the story. And if I understand the story right, the knife got in his hand. It's like, God, give me the strength. I don't know why. I don't know how. It's going to be misunderstood. But And in his mind, he says, I will. Obedience. And then God calls out and God says, don't do it. Don't do it. And by the way, now I know, now I know that I am more important than the blessing. The one that blesses is more important than the blessing to you. And don't hurt him. Don't harm, it, harm him at all. Oh, by the way, there was a ram caught in the bushes right here, so go offer that. And Abraham was just so overtaken by what was going on. He said, I'm going to name this place. We're going to call this place Jehovah Jireh. Now, that's just two words to you and me, but if we knew Hebrew and if we talked Hebrew, that would mean a whole lot more. That means I'm going to name this mountain God sees, God provides. That's a testimony, that's a legacy. I wonder, I really do, I wonder if I know him as Jehovah Jireh. And I'm wondering if you do as well. I'm, I didn't say, I, I didn't say, I wonder, wonder if you even know God. I wonder if I even know God, but do I know God as Jehovah Jireh? Do you know God as Jehovah Jireh? God, that word is so powerful and packed with meaning. God's hand in human events and God's provision, God provided. I'm going to suggest something. This is a suggestion. You can disagree with me if you want. I'm going to suggest that we live in one of the most self-sufficient countries in the world. One of the most self-sufficient countries in the entire world. I'm going to suggest that it is so easy to, I'll do it myself. Just like the little red hen. I work for my pie and I'm going to eat my pie. And I'm sorry for you chicken, I'm sorry for you pig, and I'm sorry for you goose. That's physically speaking. But I think it bleeds into our theology as well. I think, I'm talking from experience. Maybe your testimony is different than mine. But this whole idea of God's grace and God's, God's provision and God providing it all. And yes, we wrestled with that in our Sunday school lesson about the, the tension between faith and works and, and uh, sinning and what, what all that means. But uh, I, I wrestled with it. I wrestled with I working so hard to please God. And I'm not minimizing that works is not important. But I'm... I, I'm suggesting that it is very easy to look across this prosperous nation, this prosperous land, 
and you'll find, uh, you, you'll, you'll find uh, a, a, a works salvation mentality that is embedded deep into, the, in, into theology. And I'm just cha- I'm trying to challenge myself. Do I live? God provides. Jehovah Jireh. God has provided. He sent his son that I, I should be on the altar. I should have died. I deserved it. But he sent his son. And his son what, took the... He was sacrificed in my place. And all of my confidence is in him. When I stand before God, I still view myself uh, of my own, of my own works, of my own doings as filthy rags. But the imputed, the, the, the righteousness that God gives me that is put into my account because of my faith and my commitment and my trust in Jesus, that's where it's at. So I'm wondering if we're... If you're like me, and we've got to be careful to be not too much like the little red hen. Now, I'm not sure what to do with that story because everything needs balance, okay? And I'm not saying be like the goose and be like the pig. Because I, I think uh, I, I've heard a lot of outcries against the pigs and the gooses. and You know what I mean? The people that don't want to work and that want to eat the bread. And that's a whole other subject. But my, my, my focal point this morning is, are you, do you really know? Do you really know Jehovah Jireh? I think our culture has, has, has well played all the roles. Is there a better role? And it's someone that just walks out, Jehovah Jireh. Yeah, maybe they plant the wheat and they plant the... But the whole time they're doing it, it's because of God, because of God, because of God. And they wouldn't dare to say... Well, I'll do it myself, and I'm going to eat my bread. I'm sorry for Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh melts a heart. Jehovah Jireh just puts a, a confidence and a trust in, in, uh, in yea, everything we do. What I'd like to do is, I have two scriptures that I'm, I think I'm going to omit this morning, because I'd like to just focus on a verse of a song. The two scriptures that I'm going to omit this morning is Haggai and Malachi. If you want a little bit of homework to do, read Haggai and Malachi. They're amazing prophets with an amazing message. But in both of those contexts, Malachi says, will a man rob God? And Haggai says, you're working so hard. At the end of the day, you're working, 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 and you've you're, you're, you're basically got a hole in your pocket. And I come along because you don't know me as Jehovah Jireh. You're just working, 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 and I'm kind of like going, and just blowing everything you're working for out the wind. That's an amazing story in the book of Haggai. And then Malachi comes and says, you're robbing God. And it's all because I'm convinced that they forgot Jehovah Jireh. God provides. My prayer is that you and me would live Jehovah Jireh. Every time I share something, I try to ask myself, what is the main point? What am I trying to communicate? What I'm trying to communicate this morning is I want myself and all of us to know Jehovah Jireh so that we lay all on the altar and then we'll know the depths of the love of Jesus. Now, I'd like you to turn Songs of Faith and Praise, the 915, 915 in the Songs of Faith and Praise. 
Again, a very, very familiar verse, a uh, song, I should say. But I'm going to read it, and then we're going to sing, and I hope we can sing it with gusto. I'm going to sing, we're going to sing verse 4 together. But listen, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his goodwill, he abides with us still and with all who trust and obey. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt nor a fear, not a sigh nor a tear can abide while we trust and obey. Actually, I had a problem with that verse as I, until I caught the last phrase. It's not that we don't have shadows and clouds and, and sighs and tears, but they can't abide. They can't dominate. They can't define the Christian life. They can't abide if we trust and obey. Not a burden we bear, not a sh sorrow we share, but our toil he doth richly repay. Not a grief nor a loss, not a frown nor a cross, but is blessed while we trust, if we trust and obey. And here's the verse that we're going to sing a little bit later. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. Not a favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for those who will trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet we'll sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the way while we do his good will I'm sorry, what he says we will do, where he sends we will go, never fear, only trust and obey. I think that's, the, that's so much theology in this song, trust and obey, I can't improve on it. So what I'd like us to do, let's all uh, stand together. Uh, we're going to sing verse uh, 4. And after we sing verse 4, I'm going to turn it over to Mike for uh, final announcements and... and uh, blessing on the meal. So go ahead. Let's sing four like we really, really mean it. Delights of his love.